Okay, welcome to the Picket Fence Podcast. My name is Derek Early. And I'm Kim Smith. We are the hosts of the brand new Picket Fence Podcast, a basketball podcast with an Indiana focus. Each week we will be bringing you discussions on current affairs in the basketball world from high school, college, the NBA, and beyond. Also each week we will discuss and break down a topic related to basketball in the state of Indiana or expand to other hoops related discussions. And this week we're going to get warmed up in our shoot around by discussing some interesting coaching news in our state. In our four quarters segment we will be discussing the NBA Finals, the Bradley Beal trade, the Zion Williamson situation, debacle, fiasco, uh, and other trade rumors around the association. And finally, we're going to wrap up the show with the official Picket Fence Podcast NBA Mock Draft. Cam and I will discuss the draft and debate who we think should be taken in the lottery tonight, what players are being slept on, and what teams we think are about to make some surprising moves. After you listen to the episode, we would love to know your thoughts on the draft. Check out Picket Fence underscore pod on Twitter and the Picket Fence podcast on Instagram and Facebook. When we come back, we're going to get warmed up in our pregame shoot around. All right, and welcome back to the Picket Fence podcast. Uh, We're going to start our shoot around, uh, Derek, and I'm going to go ahead and start the clock on some pretty interesting Indiana basketball news to start off our show today. Um, So we've been discussing the past several weeks. Um, since we're doing these podcasts about who's getting hired, who's leaving, going new places. And one of the ones we discussed early on, one of our first shows, we were pretty excited about the New Albany basketball program and how highly we thought of that program. And the new hire in Craig Teagle, who had uh, come down with a pretty pretty spot-on resume. Um, the guy who looked like on paper would be the perfect fit to take over for Coach Shannon. And that is not uh, the situation that we're currently in. Right. Uh, Very, very interesting news. So for those who don't know, uh, Craig Teagle, who came down uh, to be the New Albany basketball coach, hired in mid-April, I believe. Yep. Um, Last week, resigned from the New Albany position, which was kind of some news that shook up the state, that this guy came down here, took the job, resigned. And then by that evening, was the head coach... At Bluffton. This is kind of... We had talked about how weird the situation was in the state where there were so many jobs, especially locally for us. Um, I think this trumps being... Um, that that interesting situation and takes up another level. This is this is probably one of the weirdest things <laughs> I've, I've experienced in terms of following Indiana basketball. Would you have to agree with that? I mean, like... I don't... I mean, I... It's... It's certainly unorthodox, I guess, is maybe a good way to, to start the conversation. You don't... Very unorthodox approach to, to it's, and especially, especially with a job that you and I had a, a pretty long conversation about when it comes to a place like New Albany. I think, you know, you may see coaches have changes of heart or have situations maybe fall through. Um, I think maybe in lesser known programs, but in one that is as established as well-known, as well-respected, and I think to a certain degree probably sought out by coaches around the state like New Albany, the expectation is that when the coach takes the job, he's going to be there for a while. Um, and so to see New Albany, I think, kind of maybe seek out Coach Teagle, bring him down from Huntington North, 
um, with a fair amount of success, whether it be Huntington North, whether it be his time at Jay County. Uh, he's a very successful coach, and to bring him in and then to see him gone before the month of June is over, uh, you know, you got to wonder, you know, did he even collect a check from New Albany? Was he there long enough to even, you know, see a, a pay stub? But in um, talking to people in our area and trying to kind of become a little bit before, a little bit more familiar with the situation, of course, there's always the rumor mill that spins, and I don't want to have to have us dive into that and try and dissect rumors and things like that because we don't know the ins and outs of it. Um, and I wouldn't want to do that to somebody, but, uh, you know, you do wonder, you know, in that situation, you know, what, what's going on and, uh, you know, what, why did he not want to stay at New Albany? And now that this job is open, where does New Albany go? Yeah, that's, that's the, the real situation. And, and to, to comment on coach Teagle, there was some, uh, speculation and it was talked about that there was some family health issues. Um, that he needed to attend to. So if that's the situation, you know, we pray for their family. Yeah, absolutely. That, that everything's okay with them because that's definitely something you don't want to see. That if that was the cause, that's really upsetting. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that people have talked about and we're not here to speculate. But I am going to speculate on what New Albany's going to do. And that's what you just asked. Like, that's really the thing that's crazy is we're going to get late into the summer and they're going to find their head coach. Um, that's going to be kind of starting – um, late in the game. So we had our shootout at Corden Central last week and had a lot of different schools there. And Walmney was there, and they had some guys that I assume were assistants. And first of all, i got to compliment them. One, they're taking over in a tough situation, and they did a great job. So positive with that group. Uh, really motivating for them. Um, they did really well, competed really well all day. And for those coaches to kind of just step in a couple days before you've got, you know, several games to play in a day, I thought they did awesome. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, a lot of coaches have taken some other jobs. I know a lot of people apply for that New Albany job. I'm curious to see, um, if they bring in the same people who, you know, had applied and interviewed ahead of time, um, to not speculate. I know there are some coaches that have, um, worked in the area, in our area, in the Southern Indian area that were interested, that are on some staffs as assistants that are kind of. more than interested in that job. Right. And so that's kind of the rumors that I've heard. So it, I'm excited to see who they'll bring in. Um, and for the guys who have been there, uh, you guys are doing a great job. Like those assistants, I just can't compliment them enough. They're doing great stuff. Yeah, and that's a tough situation to be in. And I don't, I, you know, won't dive into a whole lot. But, you know, you and I have kind of been in a similar situation to where, there, you know, your program is in a little bit of limbo. There's some uncertainty around the program. And you're trying to lead it through the summer and keep things on track. And and do the right thing, and it, it is difficult, um, you know, when you're floating in a world of, of not quite knowing what the next day may hold, um, it does put, does put coaches in, in a weird spot, in a tough spot, and it puts the kids in a, in a, in a bad spot, and that's really, at the end of the day, um, you know, who you kind of have to think about is, you know, the kids and the program and what's going to happen with them, you know that they've got to feel a great deal of uncertainty, and so hopefully you know, New Albany can get things going in the right direction and get the right guy in there, get the right fit. Um, because, you know, for 25 years with Coach Shannon, they've been an incredible program. And you don't want to see something like this create, you know, uh, a pattern of basically 
you know, uncertainty within the program and, you know, does it make it a rocky road? And you don't, you don't want to see that for, for that type of program. No, absolutely not. And, and definitely I don't want negative effects to, to come out on the kids and for them to, you know, have such a change in leadership. They're going to have three different coaches this summer. Right. And that's going to be really tough on them. To, to pivot really quickly, let's talk some good news in Indiana high school basketball. Uh, the other job that we were pretty pumped about because they had um, a late job posting was Bedford North Lawrence. Yeah. They were kind of the uh, one that we got excited about because they weren't, um, you know, early in the game in terms of announcing that they had an opening. But that job has been filled, and you have a guy that was formerly on the girls' side there at BNL in Kurt Godlevsky, and if I pronounce that wrong, I apologize. Uh, but a state champion girls' coach in 2013 for Bedford North Lawrence now is taking the helm for BNL boys, and I feel like there couldn't be a better fit there. I mean, that's that's just really exciting news. It's cool to have somebody who was there. Uh, coach Godlevsky left the girls' BNL program after winning a state title and was an assistant for the Butler Bulldogs girls program, uh, and then quickly became the head coach for uh, the Butler girls um, for several years up there, and then now is returning to BNL as their boys coach. I think that's probably one of the, short of Jeff Teague taking the job at Pike, probably the coolest coaching story I think that I've heard this summer. Yeah. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you and I talked, um, gosh, even back in, in March and, and April, you know, about certain programs around the state that don't just hire anybody and they do their homework, they assess their candidates, they assess their applicants. And in some cases, there are programs who have the luxury of being able to go out and make phone calls and call the people that they would like to see put in their head coaching positions. And both Bedford and New Albany um, are kind of sitting in that type of seat where you know, they're basically driving the hiring process. They're not just sitting back and having to wait on people to apply. They can be a little bit more assertive. And uh, the the Bedford job, I think you and I both would say, was probably open longer than maybe what we thought it was. But again, with a, a program like Bedford, with their history and their background, it, they're not going to rush into making a hire. And certainly based on what we've seen on paper and this guy's track record, um, they they hit a home run on this one, for sure. And you know, as I as I looked into it and we we talked about it, BNL has you know the the history and they're they're a big time program in Indiana, but they haven't won a sectional since two thousand and one in the boys' right. Program. So they needed to make a big move, and BNL's n- never a program that, that's not competitive. But right, um, Hoosier Hill is a tough conference. They play a tough schedule, um, and. There historically, they've got they've got good players. Um, I'm really interested to see what this program's looking like. They've it's jumped to probably in the top two or three teams that I'm most interested to see this upcoming season. Yeah. Um, with this announcement to bring in state championship experience and then also uh, to be a Butler, uh, to be a Division One girls coach and then jump back here is really interesting. And he's somebody that, as we talked about it before we came on, I'm thinking maybe we shoot an email and see if we can get this guy on here and talk to him. Yeah, no I mean, kidding. He's going to be a really interesting guy to, to talk to and. Uh, we wish, we wish uh, BNL the best of luck and uh, their new coach, and hopefully um, they have some good things coming out of BNL this year. Yeah. Uh, let's jump from a high school game, um, as much fun as it is to talk about that, into the college game. We're going to go back bad news. <laughs> uh, 
So, pretty, pretty odd stories coming out of college basketball. Let's start it off with some good news. Uh, Coach Hurley at UConn gets extended. Um, was that announced today, yesterday? Yeah, it's been uh, within the last 24, 36 hours. Yeah, that you got an extension well-deserved. Uh, national champions. Looks like they're going to be a team that contends for several years. He's running a great program. Um, so that was pretty interesting to see. I was a big fan of watching UConn. We talked about that a lot on the podcast. Uh, the opposite side of that, some guys <laughs> not getting some extensions. Uh, Bob Huggins in trouble for the second time this spring. Uh I don't know. I'm going to let you take the wheel on that one. Very odd situation there with Coach Huggins. Well, and it's, you know, kind of for a Hall of Fame coach that Coach Huggins is, I know he's almost 70 and has been in the game forever, been a head coach forever, whether it be Cincinnati, whether it be West Virginia, uh, has always kind of been in and around drama, I guess maybe a good way to put that. There's always been a a little bit of activity around Huggins that I think raised eyebrows. Yeah. You know, at, at Cincinnati, there's always been allegations and things that have, that have been kind of following him, you know, whether it be Cincinnati and whether or not their recruiting practices were all quite legal. Um, the fact that he was running a DUI bus for his coaches clinics in the summer, um, so that the coaches after the clinic was over could, or his uh, camps, when camp was over, could run their coaches into downtown to go to the bars, drink, do their thing, and then go back, you know, to campus. Uh, there's just kind of always been this cloud around Coach Huggins, and then you get into talking about the reason for his now resignation at West Virginia with him drinking, getting the DUI, and not just a DUI, but blowing a .21 DUI. Uh, so that's not just a... That's big time. That's a big number. That's not just a. That's not pushing the limit. That's almost three times the limit. Um, I guess when he got pulled over, he was somewhere near Pittsburgh. He said he thought he was in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so not, not certainly the ending that you want to see to somebody's career. When you talk about a guy that's had the success he's had, uh, you know, kind of the one knock is he's never won a major conference title. Um, since going to West Virginia, I know had success at Cincinnati, but they were in Conference USA at the time. And the Big 12 has been dominated by Kansas. And he's made a couple of decent tournament runs, but uh, probably hasn't been as successful or wasn't as successful at West Virginia as maybe what people thought. And I really feel like West Virginia gave him the benefit of the doubt for a long time of his tenure. Uh, Absolutely. They, they really – Yeah, they stood by him – um, probably for a few more years than what a lot of programs would have. Uh, yeah, and especially given the statements that he made earlier in the spring on the radio. Uh, That's whole, tough. Yeah, a whole lot of people would not have let that one slide. A lot of, a lot of programs and coaches wouldn't have made it through that one. Uh, I don't know. What are, what's, what's your take, Cam? I, I don't know. My, my thought only with it is, I mean, he's had this before. He's had the DUI before. Um, he's lucky he's not at, like, Providence or, like, another Catholic school after the, uh, right. the radio incident. But my the, the thing that I've been thinking, and, and it's not right of me, I guess, maybe to think this, but it, it was the thing that first came to my mind. is like, what's his next move? Is he done? Is he right. um, – does he snag another job? Um, honestly, my thought is I, I've thought about it the past couple of days 
is is he about to go the Patino route? Is he going to take a smaller job and then prove himself and then get another big job again? Um, yeah. Certainly working out for Coach Patino as he's at St. John's and pulling in North Carolina transfers and things like that. Um, but I think my thought with Huggins was, one, it's not surprising. Like, when I saw it come up, I was like, oh, whoops. Like, you know, again, you know, Huggins is in trouble. But I think that my thought is now, is he officially done? And my thought is maybe. I think maybe there are some schools that definitely don't want to touch, touch that. Because, yes, Patino had some issues. Uh, but Patino publicly seems to be pretty clean. I mean, I, I know all the stuff behind the scenes issues with Patino and his programs at times, and, but Patino represents himself pretty well publicly, whereas Huggins sometimes will, you know, will go on the radio and say things or do something like this. Right. Uh, so I, my thought is I'm, I'm really curious to see if he's done. Uh, honestly, if I'm going to make a prediction, I feel like he ends up on an NBA staff. Part of my thought is I feel like maybe he ends up with an NBA team, um, maybe not as a head coach, but I think maybe as an assistant. Uh, but I, I feel like maybe his college basketball run might be done. He may need a year or two off and someone come and grab him. But I don't know. He's he's a very interesting personality. He's kind of a controversial guy. I've always liked his teams. Uh, they're usually fun to watch. But my thought initially with this is, is this the last of Bob Huggins in college basketball? There's a... There's a saying that goes with high-level Division One basketball, and it's get fired for anything but losing. And so it does make you wonder, you know, is this a situation that ends the career? Or like you said, is this one where maybe he takes some time off? Does he go D3, D2? Is there some small D1s, smaller conferences that may want to try and bring him in and maybe help rectify the career? Or in some cases, build a program, you know? Uh, right. You know, Kelvin Sampson went, or, you know, went to the Bucks staff in Milwaukee for a couple of years. Um, I think with the Rockets a little bit too. Yeah. Went back to college basketball. You know, Sampson was a little bit younger at the time, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Bob Huggins on an NBA staff. I right. Think that would, you know, interesting. Yeah. Unfortunate. You've got Huggins in trouble. Uh, Penny Hardaway. And yeah. Hot water again in Memphis. Uh, some more recruiting things. Um, you know, what's interesting about Penny is you, you, you say that quote that makes me laugh, get fired for anything um, but losing. Um, Penny's getting a lot of trouble and I'm not quite seeing the results either. Right. Not like Memphis is, you know, they're not world beaters. I think they're fine. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen with, with, with Coach Hardaway there. I know that it's sentimental that he's in Memphis, but yeah. just a weird situation there with, with Penny. And then Coach Huggins hopefully trains himself out. Uh, and I mean, I know it's been a long time. And it doesn't seem like that's happening, but hopefully, he straighten himself out. Maybe find himself, you know, a good job and, and can end the career on a high note. Uh, before our, our buzzer goes off, I jumped out of the state of Indiana um, too quickly, and so did our guy that I'm about to bring up here, Joey Hart, leaving the state and going to Kentucky. Right. Uh, we were gonna we were gonna bring him up earlier, and I missed on that one there. Uh, so we're gonna jump back and maybe combine the world of Indiana high school basketball and, and college basketball here. Um, one of the better players in the state of Indiana this year, Joey Hart from Linton Stockton, uh, committed to the University of Kentucky, and he's going to be a Wildcat. What do you think about that? Yeah, pretty interesting because he was originally committed um, to what, what did he say? It was uh, Central Florida, right? Central Florida, yeah. Yeah, so he becomes the seventh member of Kentucky's top-ranked 2023 freshman signing class. Uh, 
it adds, I think, depth to Kentucky. I think anytime a a program at any level of Division One can bring in an Indiana All Star, uh, I think that's a good move on their part because you know what type of player you're getting. If they're an Indiana All Star, you know you're one of the twelve, thirteen best players in the state um, that just simply breeds basketball players. Um, he comes from a very well-known program in the state of Indiana, a very successful program in the state of Indiana, um, has been coached well, and is an incredible athlete. Um, to be yes. six, to be six five, he's an incredible athlete. Um, but not only that, but he's six five. He's one hundred eighty pounds, so he's a pretty good sized kid. Um, yeah. Certainly would have the stature to go in and at least be able to hold his own at the Division One level. Uh, but he can shoot the ball too. It's not just he's just simply an athlete. Um, the kid can play. He can defend. And I think maybe not necessarily as a freshman, but down the line, sophomore year, junior year, would assume he'd be a four-year kid there at Kentucky. Um, he may become the knockdown shooter that Kentucky's missed the last couple of years. That's exactly what I thought. I mean, he put up uh, 1,900 points at Lynn Stockton. Um, and uh, I've got it pulled up here, 424 rebounds for his career. So he's pretty complete. I mean, he's a nice passer over 200 assists, 1,900 points. Uh, he's a great player, a uh, pretty complete player. And, you know, part of me thinks, like, is he going to be a guy that's there at Kentucky for a few years? Because – the guys that have been in Kentucky for a couple of years have become, you know, the fan favorites. You got yeah. Oscar Sheebway, um, has been kind of fan favorite there for a couple of years. But um, I think he's a pretty interesting player. I hate to see him leave the state, but I hope that he has a long career at Kentucky. And I, I agree. I think he's a guy that uh, Kentucky's been missing for the past couple of years for sure. Yeah. There's our buzzer at the end of shoot around. Uh, great way to warm it up there, uh, Derek. I thought that was a um, pretty interesting discussion. When we come back, we're going to jump into our four-quarters segment. All right, Cam, here we go. Welcome back here. Getting into our four-quarter segment. And our first eight minutes, as Cam gets the clock started here, is going to be our NBA Finals wrap-up discussion. Uh, Cam, what, what are your, what's your assessment, your takeaway from the NBA Finals with the Nuggets claiming the championship? So, first of all, I think we have to reiterate that we're, again, basketball geniuses. We both picked <laughs> We both picked this one. Um, and we actually did. I mean, didn't quite play out exactly how we thought in all the other aspects. But right. it was the team that we both were pretty high on going into the playoffs. Uh, and I want to I come back to that point in a second when we talk about why we were high on them. But, you know, there was a lot of talk that this would be a finals that was not interesting. People wouldn't watch. It's the highest rated finals in like five years. Um it was one of the most interesting and competitive ones, even though it was four games to one. Um, every game was competitive. Miami yeah. never really went away like what like they do. Um, to see that team win and to see them win in the way they did. So, like, we were high on them, and I think the reason is they have true continuity and culture there. They built their team from the draft. They didn't give up on a coach. They haven't been bringing in different superstars and blowing it up and making big trades. They've continued to build and trust what they've been doing, trust their coach, and then they built a team that's, um, you know, was just firing on all cylinders. I think they're a team that proves you don't you don't buy your club, you got to build your club. And I think that if they're healthy, they can continue to run it back. And I really think that because so many teams in the NBA are blowing it up and bringing guys in and blowing it up and bringing guys in, and there's no continuity. They've got. Stars coming in and out each year. 
I think this is a team that can continue to run it back. But to look back at the finals that we just watched, uh, it was pure dominance from Jokic. Uh, the Nuggets did not shoot well the past couple games, or you know, the last two games of the series. Um, and he just continued to make guys around him better. The role players really stepped up in big ways. And it was one of the most fun teams. Um, I think it's the most fun team that I've watched since those first couple Warriors teams. Like those first two years without Durant, um, and when Durant came, it was fun, but it was almost more fun before Durant because it was this team that they built. And so it reminds me a lot of that group uh, because they built it, because they had this superstar they built everything around and just continue to bring in the pieces and trust their coach. Um, it's super fun. I'm a huge Jokic fan. Um, as I've said, you know, probably 25 times on this podcast, but uh, I was happy to see him get it. I was happy to see him get the MVP. And I think this is a team that we're going to see contending for the next several years. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, my takeaways are pretty simple. Just in uh, the Nuggets winning the title throughout that series, to me, the, the, my takeaways become it solidifies the fact that Jokic right now is the best player in the world. Yes. And my second takeaway is Denver has the best one-two duo in the league. Uh, and you can make arguments – now with um, something we'll talk about later with Phoenix, uh, you can make arguments for other teams around the league, but to me there's no real debate at this point after watching the NBA Finals that Jokic and Murray are the best one-two punch, the best duo in the league, and until somebody knocks them off, I don't know that you can say otherwise. Uh, the way that they play off of each other, it's like you said, it is a lot like watching the Golden State Warriors pre-Kevin Durant with the way Clay and, and Steph moved without the ball, the way they utilized Draymond, uh, the way they, they were passing out of the high post, the way they ran their offense. And you see a whole lot of that now with Denver, and it's just incredibly fun. Um, you had you know a guy like Aaron Gordon that they go out, they bring in, and he fits their system. You know, um, I think you made a good point there talking about how other teams are constantly blowing things up, making coaching changes, bringing guys in, and then having to figure it out. And Denver's not really in that boat. They're, they're not having to figure things out on the fly. They're bringing guys in that fit their system, and then they're leaving guys in place. Um, and not many teams have a guy like Aaron Gordon that one night in the finals can go get you 27, the next night turn around and give you four points, and be completely fine with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think Denver's a pretty special team, and that, those are just kind of my general takeaways there. I think it's undeniable Jokic is the best player, and their one-two punch with him and Murray is going to be tough to stop as long as they stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of what made it so fun is, you know, a couple of years ago, that season before the bubble, I really started paying attention to Jokic, like really tightly. And then as it kept going, he just kept getting more interesting and more interesting. In the bubble, he showed out to be, and then he has two straight MVPs. And to be honest, as big of a beat fan as I am, he should have won MVP again this year. I mean, it's just, he just should have. I mean, the media became a thing that, that talked about him, you know, not needing three in a row. And I think that, I think it was just false. I think he just is more valuable than any other player on any team. But watching that whole team became really fun because you did see Murray, you saw Aaron Gordon, you see Bruce Brown have some big games. Christian Brown coming in and having big moments. Uh, KCP having big moments, too. It just became a team that's like, hey, this is truly a team that knows how to play together. 
Uh, we're going to bring it up here in the next couple of segments, but like, I think that is one of the bigger issues and why some of these teams can't win championships is the second it doesn't work, they do, they're done. I mean, the Bucks won the Eastern Conference in the regular season. They get rid of their coach, and they're probably about to lose Chris Middleton because of it. Right. Uh, you've, you've got to trust what you're doing. You've got to build through the draft. The teams that are winning championships, the Nuggets win a championship. The Warriors have won, what, four now? Four championships? They build through the draft. Uh, the team before that, Milwaukee, they built through the draft. They didn't bring a bunch of guys in. They draft Giannis. They draft Middleton. Then they bring in, you know, a guy here and there that's a piece, but they aren't constantly trying to revamp and redo that. You know, they bring in Holiday. They brought in Brooke Lopez, who people thought, you know, he was on his way out, and they used him in a different way. And the Nuggets do the same thing. They, they bring in a little piece. They bring in Bruce Brown, you know, a guy that just comes off the bench. They brought in Aaron Gordon, who was in Orlando, and said, hey, we need you in one specific role. And everything else, they built to the draft. And I think that's kind of the reoccurring thing that we're seeing, is if you want to win, you've got to do it that way. Yeah. Um, the only There's two formulas that we've seen in the finals the past several years. There's building through the draft, which are the guys that have won, and having LeBron. Like, those <laughs> are the two things. You have LeBron wins with the Lakers, he goes with the Cavs, he goes with the Heat. You either have him or you have to build your program. Those are the yeah. two formulas. And one of them is really hard to get because he can only play for one team. You know, Miami made it, and they almost did the opposite where they built through the non-drafted players. Yeah. But I think continuity is, is the number one thing that you have to look for. Yeah. Yeah, we've fallen in. I think we'll get into this here in the next quarter a little bit um, with our next topic. But teams seem to have kind of fallen into let's just figure – let's just bring in talent and then the talent will figure itself out. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's in some cases okay, but you also have these franchises, organizations that don't want to let the process play out either. Not to go off of Philadelphia's thing, but um, as because it's not worked either. But not quite. just bringing in this horde of talent, whether it be two guys or three guys, that these organizations want to focus their their play around um, there as we wrap up the first quarter, you also have to give it time to marinate. And then these organizations are really clo- really quick to unload guys or unload the coaches in particular. And you, and I, you and I have talked about that and how it's not quite fair to give a guy a season or in some cases half a season with a team and then want to blow the whole thing up. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, it seems to be split down the middle in terms of the formulas teams are taking and one seems to be uh, the case. Yeah. And that's a great segue into quarter two. And so uh, with quarter two, as I'm about to start the clock here, we're going to discuss the Phoenix Suns' recent move in trading Chris Paul to the Wizards, which we'll get to Chris Paul in a minute too because it's yeah. interesting to real quiet before we started recording. But Chris Paul to the Wizards, and they bring back Bradley Beal to this very interesting lineup that has a core of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. I'm going to let you start this one off. What, what are your thoughts here? Because we, we're kind of touching on it as we're coming into yeah. this quarter. You and I, we, we exchanged text messages for a while after this trade came through. And actually, we were talking about this potential trade before he went to Phoenix and some places that we thought he would fit. I really, just the simple basketball fan of me that wants to see teams that are on the fringe add a piece to then put them over the top. That's what that I like to see those types of things happen. Uh, right. I would have loved to have seen him go to Sacramento 
and play with De'Aaron Fox and play with Sabonis because then I think you're looking at them and maybe with Bradley Beal, does Sacramento match up with Denver? You know, how are they able to facilitate their offense? Because for uh, lack of a better term, Sacramento's kind of like a, I don't want to say a poor man's Denver, but they use Sabonis in a similar way to Jokic. De'Aaron Fox plays a different style of game versus Jamal Murray, but they have their big that can pass, that is a triple-double waiting to happen. They've got their point guard that can do multiple things. And I would have loved to have seen him go to Sacramento. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him come to the Pacers, also just as a little bit of a homer option there. Uh, but I don't know how it works in Phoenix. I'm, I'm excited to see it play out. I don't know who plays point guard in that offense. I guess really when you have those types of guys, any three between Beal, Booker, and Durant, I guess you can run the offense, initiate it with any of those guys. Um I think they're going to have to move DeAndre Ayton at this point um, and then figure out how they want to structure their offense. Yeah, um, it is It is going to be very interesting. And you talking about the structure of it, uh, I think is what everyone's saying. But I, I'm going to zag here. I know you said you're excited, but I don't like it at all. Like, I just think this is a terrible move. And I hate to, I hate to say terrible because there's going to be nights where it looks good. There's going to be... You know, if we're two weeks into the season and Beal's averaging like 28, everyone's going to say it looks awesome. Um, the Phoenix Suns were a team, like we were talking about in the first quarter, that were they were doing it right. They built through the draft. They got Booker. They got DeAndre Ayton. They traded for Mikael Bridges on draft night, which is a terrible move for Philadelphia. They traded for Mikael Bridges on draft night. They drafted Cam Johnson. They were bringing in these guys through the draft, and then they brought in one piece. So you talk about what what piece can we grab from free agency from a trade that fits, and they bring in a point guard and Chris Paul, and all of a sudden they're in the finals. It's like, oh hey, they played together several years. They had a coach that had been there for a couple years, and now all of a sudden we're competing for a championship. That's not a coincidence. That's they built a team and then brought in a leadership piece. And Chris Paul, right. you know, a championship has eluded him in his career, but he definitely makes a difference in a lot of areas, and he certainly did with that team. Um, he changed the trajectory of DeAndre Ayton's career for sure. It seemed like he wasn't going to be much of anything. And Chris Paul really, you know, helped raise his ceiling. But then they trade several pieces to Brooklyn to get Kevin Durant, which is hard to argue against going to get Kevin Durant. But Kevin Durant's a guy that if he doesn't like it midway through next year, guess what? He's in Los Angeles or something. Like, he'll find his way out. And you traded guys, and Mikhail Bridges looked great in Brooklyn. Oh, he was Brooklyn's best player. Yeah, he was awesome. So they get rid of all these guys that they, they brought in that they could have for years that was they were more than willing to be team players. They bring in Durant. They had zero depth. Right. Durant really didn't get to play that much. Uh, and now after it doesn't work in the playoffs, they get rid of Monty Williams, which, again, you and I both agree, huge mistake. Terrible move. They bring in Frank Vogel, which is fine. He does a good job. But they get rid of Monty Williams, and now they trade and go get Bradley Beal. And now there's these questions of DeAndre Ayton. So now you've gotten rid of everyone that you drafted or brought in on that championship team, and you just have Booker. And you have very expensive guys, and one of them has a reputation for, I don't really like this, and I'm out. And, you know, there's always talk about when you have so many superstars that can look good because you're like, oh, who's the point guard? Well, we'll stagger it. No, you know, Durant doesn't have to play all the games. 
and Beal doesn't have to play all the games, or you know, we can play the second quarter where some of them play and they'll stagger and and there'll always be a combination of two of them on the floor at some time. Like they talk about that. That's not worked for any team. Because when you're in the playoffs and there's five minutes to go, your best five's supposed to play. And when your best five have played three games together all year and a handful of minutes, it doesn't tend, seem to work. Yep. Los Angeles Clippers are the best example. This looks like the Clippers. Like the Clippers thought, well, we'll bring in these guys. And Kawhi's going to play half the time. Paul George is going to play half the time. But we'll figure it out. Play half the time. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. This this game is about how five players impact each other at all times on the floor, and when you don't know how to play with the other guy, it just doesn't work. Period. I'm gonna be the only reason I say I'm excited to watch this situation in Phoenix is because I think it's gonna be very interesting to see what they do, how they utilize guys, and I 100 percent. I I think it's on Booker, and I think he's gonna have to assert himself as the alpha in that locker room, um, you know, with him being a huge fan of Kobe, I think he's going to have to adapt a little bit of that Kobe mentality and go in and basically make it well known that it's his team. You know, I know that you're talking about Kevin Durant, you're talking about Beal, but things are going to have to go as Devin Booker goes because there's no guarantee that Durant's going to play 50 games. Uh, Beal is at least a guy that shows up. He's a gamer. He doesn't just miss. He doesn't sit out. He's not a load management guy. Uh, he's had some injuries, but I don't think I don't think that his sitting out is on him. Yeah. So my thing is, if Booker can put it on his shoulders and be the guy that that organization can look to, I think it may end up being okay. I'm just concerned because you can only play with one basketball, and with those three guys who are volume shooters and volume scorers, at what point? And again, we've seen this with big threes in a couple of different scenarios. At what point are there not enough basketballs to go around? Right, and it just becomes your turn, my turn. You know what's interesting about Durant is Durant does have a really unique ability to play with anybody. Like, he worked immediately with Golden State. Right. They already had something established, though. Right. He went to Brooklyn, and for a minute that team seemed pretty interesting. And then some personalities clashed. But... Durant does a pretty good job, and again, he did with Phoenix, too. He came in, and he's like, I can play with him. Like, he does fit his system because he doesn't he doesn't dominate the ball. Um, but it is going to be odd to see a team without a true facilitator, to see a team try and figure this out. And to be honest, as our clock's kind of running down here, I'm going to ask you as it runs down, you think DeAndre Ayton's on this team at the end of the week? I'm not sure he's on the team after tonight. I agree. I don't. I think he gets moved tonight as we, we get the point off as the quite the buzzer beater there. I, I, I think he's gone. I think he's gone by the end of the night. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I would agree with that there. And just jumping right through halftime. Yeah, we're skipping halftime. No adjustments around here. Everything is a well-oiled machine. Yeah, we go right through halftime. Um, uh, at some point, listeners who would like some sponsorship, we could plug a sponsorship halftime. Uh <laughs> This is our... Uh, hey, we'll do quarter by quarter. We're not... Yeah. It's like hockey. We just have like... The we, won't, we will not be picky around here. We'll, no. pl- we'll plug We'll plug your business. We're not scared. Yeah. Future sponsor plug here. At yeah, Apple. future it's investment opportunity. Quarter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going back to the end of our second quarter there, speaking of guys that may not be on the team, 
at the end of the night, I'm starting to clock the now man myth and legend, Zion Williamson. Uh, another guy that I think, I think he's gone. Let's just get into that. Uh, do you want to start off with Zion? <laughs> well... When your mistress slash side piece, whatever you want to get into having that conversation about, has more tweets about you than you have career games played, you're in you're in trouble. That's my favorite stat. <laughs> um, maybe the twenty. I think I have two favorite stats. Jokic is the first person in playoff history to lead the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. Very interesting stat. And. That Zion's mistress has more tweets than he has games played. I think those are the two best stats I've seen all year. If you are, if you're New Orleans, and we can get into talking, and I think we'll spend some time on this in the fourth quarter coming up. But if you are New Orleans, I think maybe you're one of the teams that has to be okay with blowing everything up. You've got C.J. McCollum, who is a really good cornerstone. You've got Brandon Ingram, who is a fantastic kind of sort of 1B slash second option in that offense. If you're New Orleans, you can live without Zion because you've been living without Zion. Yeah, I don't think they need to completely blow it up because they've had to do this the whole time. Right. And number one, you can't get into into a situation where now you're talking PR nightmare. Um, You're talking about off-the-court issues, not only with the women, which is a different topic, um, but with his own commitment to his body, his own commitment to his health, to his diet, um, to keeping himself in shape to be able to play the game at the NBA level. Uh, to me, if you're, if you're sitting there in your New Orleans tonight and you can look at moving him to get some pieces and some assets, he's gotta, he has to be moved. If there's value with him right now, and I still think there is. I mean, oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. We can say whatever we want. Oh, he's untouchable. He's this. I, I'm going to bring up Rick Pitino for the second time. No one was going to hire him after the U of L stuff, and then look at him. He's now at St. John's. He's a Big East coach again. Yeah, um, taking kids from Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's back to his little tricks, baby. But Zion definitely has value because when it's right, when he was playing. He's unguardable. Right. Let's be honest. When he was playing, you can't deal with him. His, I saw a stat that all of all of his shots, eighty-one percent of his shots either go in or he gets his own rebound. Yeah. That's unbelievable. He is unguardable. That team with him this year, at one point, was the number one seed for a little bit of time. Yeah. With when he's out there, he plays a little point guard ish. You know, he initiates. Um, When it was right, man, it was right. Yeah. And so, you, as there are a lot of organizations that I guarantee are kind of licking their chops, uh, because he's he is special. If he can figure it out, I mean, the maturity thing is something he's got to somebody he's got to get like, you know, account some kind of counselor or something to get him straightened up. But physically, he's got to be a guy that gets himself in the gym and you know, if he comes in and it's like, oh hey, Zion lost twenty pounds over the summer. Yeah, the league might be in trouble because. The right move could take a team somewhere serious. And we'll get into the speculations in the next part that we talked about. But to me, the situation's interesting, and you brought up the point, they've been playing without him. New Orleans has basically played without Zion, and it's just kind of been a treat every once in a while that yeah, he played. Yeah, no doubt. Like, oh, hey, 
we get Zion now, and it looks amazing. But they've got some good continuity. They're a team that's, that's been building it. Uh, Ingram looks good there. Um, McCollum looks good there. They've talked about trading to get one of the top three to five, you know, in the top three or five picks. Yeah. They bring in a nice, a nice guard or another nice uh, piece. They're a team that I still think is in playoff contention. They were in playoff contention without him. I like everybody on that team. Uh, I like the way they've been, they've been doing things, the way they've conducted themselves with him without Zion. I think they're still in a good spot. And to be honest, um, Zion is on a trajectory of somebody that's not going to be great, but still has some value. They may be in a really good spot to get a load back from Zion Williamson. I mean, because they can sit on him, and if they don't end up trading him, and they can get him in shape, they're going to be good. But if they can move him and bring in some either, you know, several first-round draft picks or another nice player, I think New Orleans sitting pretty either way. Yeah, yeah. For for me, if I'm if I'm again obviously looking from the the outside into this situation, you need to have a situation with Zion. To me, you have to have a very strong head coach and a very experienced and strong general manager because I think there needs to be accountability built in around Zion because I know they've had the the clauses in his contract about his weight where if he doesn't maintain and stay under a certain weight, he's going to lose money and this and that. To me, you've got to have somebody, and just to throw out names, a Popovich, a Spolstra, uh, Thibodeau in New York. Uh, you have to have a head coach that's established, that's respected, that has a, that can instill maybe a little bit of fear into some of the players, and that way you know this dude's serious and he's not messing around. And you got to have a GM to be able to back all that up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. They have a head coach, Willie Green, who, who's done a really good job with that group. Um, and we just talked about guys that are getting rid of their coaches but stuff doesn't work out. It seems like New Orleans is really – embracing the process of it all yeah. and trying to build it. You know the coach that came to mind when you said that, and I'm not trying to say that you get rid of Willie Green at all, is Doc Rivers. Yeah. He's he's a guy to me that like like look, they had the same questions about Embiid. Not 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 the um not the affinity with actresses that Zion seems to have, but would you call had questions about how much, you know, is he gonna stay in shape? Is you know, what's his commitment off the court, um, you know, he had some injury stuff too. When Doc Rivers got there, that got cleaned up pretty quickly. Um, we've not seen that out of Embiid, and he's had his two best seasons. Doc Rivers, to me, is almost like a fixer, almost, of situations. He comes in, he builds players up. Um, I know he probably doesn't want that role of just bouncing around and fixing things. But yeah. wherever he goes, he brings the best out of his players. Boston, he brought that group together. I know he has some Game 7 issues. They talk about that all the time. But uh, he went to the Clippers and, you know, brought the best out of Chris Paul in that group. Um, That group they had where they traded everybody and they weren't supposed to be good and they ended up making the playoffs, you know, with like Gallinari and, um, you know, that young group. Yeah. He did really well with them. Uh, Then he goes to Philadelphia and, you know, and, uh, you know, Embiid has his best seasons and he and Hart, you know, he kind of revitalizes James Harden there. Yeah. that's the coach I thought about. He needs something like that. He needs somebody, whether that can be Coach Green. But he's on a trajectory of being one of the weirder busts we've seen. It's to this like point, Oden. yeah, to this point for sure. It's not like Greg Oden. It's not like, you know, a guy, you know, Markel Fultz where it just it looked weird. He's just 
a bad situation all around. It's weird. Um, as the buzzer goes off there, and we conclude the third quarter. Um, very odd situation. Hope the best for everybody. Yeah. Um, but we kind of got into some speculation. And now I'm going to use this to segue into our fourth quarter, which is going to be our speculation quarter here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some potential trades, rumors, or maybe even some things that we've we would just like to see personally because we just have fun talking about potential trades. So I'm going to start the clock and throw out a trade that's kind of breaking news. It happened as we started the podcast here, but Chris Paul was just traded from the Washington Wizards to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Poole. Um, if we can comment on that quickly, I think that's another weird, weird one too. It just shows the Wizards tanking. I don't know if you have a point for that really quickly <laughs> or not, but I mean, clearly it's like, hey, Jordan Poole, you can shoot 60 shots a game and we want to win nine games this year. The Wizards are 1,000% tanking. I don't know who they're tanking for. We can have that conversation moving into probably the fall um, as far as what players we foresee being taken in the top of next year's draft. But it's interesting to see that the Wizards are already at that point unloading the guys that they've unloaded, talking about Beal, talking about Porzingis, um, bringing in a bunch of youth, bringing in a bunch of picks. And maybe that's going to be their model if they can follow the build through the draft uh, process that some of these other organizations have kind of started to, uh, you know, uh, take a hold of. Uh, maybe it's something that works out for them. But the Wizards are definitely tanking. And CP3 to Golden State, I don't love it just on its face because uh, I think that there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Does Chris Paul immediately jump into the starting lineup? Is he a point guard that you want to put in to lead that offense? Do you move Steph to the two? Do you move Clay to the three? And what other types of moves is Golden State going to be looking at at making here moving forward, whether it be tonight or whether it be through the rest of the summer? Uh, to me, just right off the top, my initial thought is Chris Paul has to come off the bench. And you yeah, and I, I talked like about happen, we yeah. talked about that getting into the end of the NBA season, especially into the playoffs, as he slowed Phoenix's offense down. And to me, that's when Phoenix started to play some of their worst basketball. When he got hurt and they plugged in Payne into the starting point guard role and they played with pace and they played fast and they were up-tempo, that is when Phoenix looked really good and actually you know, thumped Denver in their playoff series. And so to me, if I'm Golden State, I'm bringing him in as an insurance piece because I think as long as you've got Steph, you've got Clay, you've got Wiggins, you know, you're looking at being a contender in the West, and I think Golden State's going to be one of those teams that with those guys, they're going to be thinking championship or bust. If you can bring a guy like Chris Paul in to man that second unit, you know, he's not quite the natural score that Jordan Poole is, but you put him around the right guys, he is a leader. You think about his role on the Olympic teams when they were getting themselves back into winning gold medals and things like that. You know, he's a leader. He takes care of the basketball. He's phenomenal in mid-range. He's phenomenal coming out of pick-and-roll situations. Uh, and so, to me, that's that's the benefit is having him in a place to come off the bench. What will they do? I don't have any idea. Uh, but on its face, again, depending on how they want to use him, uh, but I don't necessarily love it at the same time. Yeah, it's very weird 
my thought is he did this with he did this with the Suns. He took a really young group and built them and put them yeah. in a good position. I wonder if he's going to do that with that young group that they've got coming off the bench with Moody and Kaminga and those guys. Maybe he's just going to develop that second unit and maybe they'll do some load management with those other guys and Chris Paul will play with the young guys. I'm not sure. I think it's a very odd move. It's a very interesting move, which with the last few minutes we've got here in our fourth quarter is what I want to talk about. Um, I have some ideas about things I think might happen, teams that might make big moves. We'll talk about that a little bit later in our next segment. But um, are there any rumors that you've heard that you find particularly interesting or maybe uh, rumors you kind of want to start yourself here where you might think <laughs> is uh, an interesting move with uh, you know a few minutes on the clock here? What what are some moves you think might happen or you're hoping to see happen tonight? Well, though, to piggyback off the CP3 thing, something just came across on Twitter was uh, the Warriors have announced they have no intention of waiving or trading him. So they're going to keep Chris Paul on the roster. Uh, so he is in. He is going to be in San Francisco. He's going to play for Golden State next year. And to stay there, what happens with Draymond Green? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and you may feel differently. My thought is this. With him becoming an unrestricted free agent, I don't know what other team in the NBA – would want to bring him on at this point, given what he offers. I feel like his skill set is very much determined by the way Golden State plays. And so my gut feeling for Golden State, for Draymond and what works out best, I want to see, I would like to see Draymond take a pay cut, stay in Golden State, and then let them be able to solidify their roster a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I'd like to see him take a pay cut. Um, I don't know how it works contractual, like with the contract, but um, it would be the team that's been the rumor for a little bit is the Dallas Mavericks, and he might go play there. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to see him stay in Golden State too. I think that it would be it would be just bad for his career if he left him somewhere else because I don't think he fits in other places. I think he just goes well with that group. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what the Draymond Draymond is. There's a lot of speculation there. Um, the other speculation coming out of the West is the team we were just talking about. Uh, DeAndre Ayton appears like he's going to be on the move. Seemed like Boston wanted him, didn't know if it worked out or not. But it seems like DeAndre might be out. Well, and he was traded, what, halfway through the year to the Pacers. And yeah. then because of the way his contract is structured, the you know Phoenix was able to match the trade offer by the Pacers, and they were able to keep him. Uh, I've heard some rumors today talking about the potential of moving him to the Knicks for Mitchell Robinson and maybe like a uh, with the Hart kid that played at Villanova. Josh Hart, yeah. Josh Hart. So looking at maybe packaging that type of deal or trading him for Mitchell Robinson and some draft picks or some different assets there. Uh, that way it would give New York the solidified post score that they need. It would give Phoenix a go-to rim protector and rebounder, um, a guy that can play in the pick and roll that does not have to play on the post with the ball in his hands. And so that was something I saw today. But I do agree with you. I think I think Aiton's on the move. Um, and I think across the board, and we'll get into this in our mock draft, but the interesting part is going to be for me what happens with the second pick with Charlotte, what happens with the Blazers, and that's a topic I think we can get into here real quick. Um, Damian yeah. Lillard deciding that he wants to pull his name out of trade options. Yeah, the, the Blazers said they're not taking calls on them anymore. Uh, that's that's pretty wild. I think I think it's very 
I think that means that this this pick is getting traded. I think that's what that means. I think that means they're trading the pick and they're bringing someone in uh, because I, I can't I can't imagine that they're just going to sit on Damian Lillard and say we'll just play it out and rebuild with him. I think that means the pick's getting moved tonight. Yeah, um, and you and I talked about that what probably just a week or so ago that if they keep the pick, Lillard is gone. If they keep Lillard, the pick has to go. Right. Um, and I think I think it looks like they're keeping Lillard. And the pick is gone. Um, our clock is running down. Do you think that means that it's Zion? What What other options would you have? I mean, to move to move the third overall pick, and we'll get into who we think the third overall pick is going to be here in just a little bit. Uh, to me, that makes sense. Probably the second pick for Zion, and maybe something else. Maybe another guy. Right. You know. I, I, I think it's interesting. We're going to maybe carry it into overtime a second here just to, to, to continue it because it's just too interesting. Yeah, that's – I don't know what other options there would be unless there's something wild on the table that we just don't know. Um, but I would have to say it's on the move. Yeah. And the Zion rumor is the big rumor. Uh, yeah. That would be very interesting. Um, there's a few other ones. We can get into that speculation as we get into um, the next – Segment before we go really quick, we're in a little bit over time. I heard Paul George is the guy they're talking about too. Just to Portland? No, Paul George just in general. Oh, just they're Paul just, George on the move in general. Yeah, there were some Atlanta rumors for Trey Young. Um, I think the Clippers really wanted Trey Young. They definitely want a point guard. Um, I'm surprised that Chris Paul didn't end up with the Clippers again. Yeah. But um, anyway, we'll get into some more speculation um, as we wrap up our four quarters there and, and got a little bit into into overtime. Uh, this. Very interesting. This is a very interesting and fun time of the year. I mean, I think as we get into free agency and we get into the draft, it's just too much fun to speculate and see what teams do. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to uh, lay out uh, and introduce, really, the official Picket Fence Podcast mock draft for the 2023 NBA draft. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Welcome to the first edition of the official Picket Fence Podcast NBA Mock Draft. Um, very excited for this. I know we were discussing this before we came back on, that this is one of our favorite sports nights of the year. Um, I think you would probably agree with that one. I get more excited for the NBA Draft than I do the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, I actually just, I, this is one of my maybe two or three favorite sports nights of the year. Uh, I love the draft. I get sort of pumped for it. Um how about you? Is it up there for your favorite sports nights? Yeah, it's. I would say equal, at least, to the Super Bowl. Um, the start of college basketball season, the first night of the NBA, March Madness. Uh, this is certainly my favorite draft out of all the sports, simply oh, because God. it's one night. The NFL draft takes three days. Uh, yeah, the, the MLB draft is like thousands <laughs> of picks. And I, it's, it's all, they're all interesting, but I mean... There's just sort of the, you get to see all of it. A lot of action happens right in front of your face. Yeah, this is in my top my top five sporting events, I guess, so to speak, of the year for sure. Do you remember your first NBA draft that you like watched live? Oh, or just part of? Gosh, um, no, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I remember mine. The first one I can really remember would probably be '96. Uh, Okay. When Iverson went number one. Oh, wow, that's a good one. And the draft with Kobe and those guys. And then from there on, I can vividly remember watching all of them. 
Yeah, I watched pretty much all of them. Um, the first one I remember watching, like, full start to finish, was 2008. Uh, and that was Derek Rose. Yeah. One number one. Uh, I remember my hot take was that I thought Beasley should have gone one. So hopefully my mock draft is better than that. <laughs> uh, I was definitely on the Beasley. If you're away. auditioning for a GM, I'm going to hope that your judgment has gotten a little bit better since 08. Yeah. Uh, not not my best. Hopefully gotten better since then. I've, I, when I was in college, I waited tables at a restaurant, and I remember, like, asking them to put it on one of the, because re- I worked that night. Yeah. And I was really upset I couldn't get off that night, so I remember, like, watching, it was the, I think it was the Markel Fultz draft. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so, I remember watching it while I was working there, and watching, like, just, like, cutting and going back to it and seeing who got picked, but, yeah, it's one of my favorite ones for sure. Um. So without further ado, there's all the excitement, all the hype. Um, we're going to go ahead and get started. So let's kind of lay out what we're doing here exactly. Uh, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through the lottery, and the lottery is the first 14 picks. And each of us is going to give our uh, who we think should go in this spot, who we'd like to see go in this spot, someone we think maybe should go a little higher. This isn't necessarily – I didn't look at it this way as like what I predict will happen tonight. Maybe what I think, just based on my own player evaluations. Um, and then we're going to get into some of the guys we think are the sleepers, who we think are, are way better than what they're talking about. And then we're going to each give two teams at the end of this that we think uh, might make a big splash tonight or in the coming days because of this. Um, is that kind of how you looked at the draft? Is just you know what your dream scenario for it? Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. So, without further ado, uh, the first pick is in. I'll let you lead it off, Derek. Uh, who do you have going? <laughs> There's no big surprise here. Yeah. Uh, who do you have going number one? Uh, the San Antonio Spurs are on the clock. Yeah, there's very little excitement. By, well, I mean, there's excitement, but there's very little hidden uncertainty behind this pick. Uh, number one off the board, Victor Wimbanyama, the 7-4 uh, prospect out of France, arguably – the most highly touted, most anticipated prospect since LeBron. Looks like a 7-4 version of Kevin Durant in a lot of ways. And, again, a ton of excitement behind this kid and what he's going to be able to do in the NBA. Yeah, no surprise. I have him number one, too. I I think, I mean, it's obvious the Spurs are going to take him. Um, He is physically gifted in a way we've not seen. It's not that he's big. The way he moves as a big is unbelievable. Um. And to go on that, too, we just discussed a former number one pick who has some real maturity issues. Um, this guy doesn't seem to have that. He seems true. Right. I listened to him. You were talking about listening to him on Good Morning America. I listened to him on J.J. Reddick's podcast. He's mature, man. He's got a really high IQ like on the court, but also off the court. Um, very driven, works very hard, doesn't take days off, works on his body, continues to get better. Uh, I think if he's healthy, you know, because you always worry with any – prospect um, he could be something super special yeah. he, to me I think he's like a modern day Jabbar like he kind of has that the build the uniqueness and he seems almost like the our version of Kareem yeah um, I don't disagree with that my the only thing I heard him when he was speaking on Good Morning America my only real thing that he said that kind of opened my eyes up is maybe a little bit of caution um, was when they mentioned the idea of fitness working out, weight room, putting on weight. Again, because he is 7'4", and he's like 210 pounds, something like that, 215. And 
just has a, a, a relatively light frame, uh, and he was kind of hesitant to talk about, you know, putting weight on and getting in the weight room and didn't really seem like, it did not come across as if he felt like that needed to be a focus for him. And so I'm curious if that changes, um, if he figures something out. But that's really where my point of emphasis with him and watching him play is going to be, how does he handle the physicality of the NBA with defenses and how they're going to be catered to stopping him is how does his body react to the NBA game? And right. yeah. he and has, he has every physical gift. Sure. Uh, like you cannot, you cannot teach the physical gifts that he has and what he can do on the basketball court. And if he can manage the physicality side of the NBA, uh, I think sky's the limit for this kid. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he looks like a creative player. I mean, he yeah. does. Like, for him, it's, hey, let's make the tallest guy that has all the skills. Right. Uh, I, definitely think he, I definitely think that he cares about his body. Um, he definitely seems to take care of it and has good workout routines. I do think he is concerned with bulking up too much. I'm almost on the side of I hope he doesn't too much because I think guys that do that end up um, overkicking, like, their coverage in terms of their frame. Right. Um, but... I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see too how the physicality with him works out. So, uh, no, no debate here. Um, I'm thinking Wimby goes one. I think that's what it's going to play out. Yep. It's very exciting to see what he's going to do. Okay. Uh, number two, the Charlotte Hornets have uh, the second pick. Um, whether or not they move it or they're taking somebody, it seems like they're not going to trade this pick. It seems like they're going to they're going to draft. Uh, there's some debate on who will be two, and the odds have changed as of this afternoon. Um, as of who's going to go to the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Derek, who you got going number two? Uh, number two, I, w- I think he's the second best player in the draft. I went with Scoot Henderson at number two out of the G League. Uh, a combo guard, can play the point, can play the two. He looks like a defensive back in the NFL. He is he's built well beyond being 19, 20 years old. Physically, he looks like he fits in the league. And... I just think he's the second best player, so I got Scoot Henderson at number two. I have him too. We just called Victor Wimbanyama a creative player. He may be the other one in this draft. Yeah. He looks like a freak. Yeah. Um, he's built, and the thing I like about him most is, I mean, he put up great numbers with G League and all that stuff. Um, and we'll get into numbers with some of these other guys. Sometimes, I mean, not sometimes. One of the things that's most important is, you know, what you've got going on upstairs. Like, right. Are these guys mature? Are they, you know, workhorses? He seems to be that, too. There's questions about his outside shot. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem for him. I think it's somebody that he, I think he's going to work until he gets, a, you know, a pretty consistent shot. Yeah. Uh, he, he's physically gifted. I think he, he gives me some Donovan Mitchell vibes. Yeah. He's kind of got that frame. He works really hard. I mean, Donovan Mitchell coming into UofL wasn't like, you know, lighting the world on fire in terms of his, Fundamentals, but then he really worked on that. Scoot, I think, should be number two, and I don't think it's a debate. I think I don't think anyone should go over Wimbanyama, but I think Scoot, in many other years, is the number one pick. In the yeah, draft. yeah. Uh, no debate there. I like Scoot Henderson. I think he's fun. He seems like a pretty determined guy. Seems like he would fit with anybody because he just wants to win. Um, interesting there. Some okay. controversy. Yeah, at three. Good. Yeah, at three here. Yeah, maybe not controversy. More speculation. I think would be maybe a better word there. Um, speculation with the Portland Trailblazers pick number three. Um, I know who I put here. It's not who I feel should be here. Um, and I think maybe I'm interested to see your take on that, but who do you have as 
the number three pick going to the Portland Trailblazers. Well, and maybe this pick stays. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this player gets drafted by Portland. Maybe they move this guy. Um, like we said, if they're if they're deciding to keep Lillard on their roster, I think the move is to probably trade this pick and bring in somebody that's more established to help Dame and push them into a playoff run. But third pick for me, I put Brandon Miller out of Alabama. Again, don't know if he's getting traded. And I'm kind of with you. Um, as far as talent goes, he's probably the third best player on paper in the draft. I would not take this kid at number three. Um, for me, there are too many concerns and too many red flags with him, um, both on and off the court. I would like to phrase it that way. Not only concerns off the court um, with who he hangs around with and the things that he chooses to do off the court, but I have concerns on the court with him. What's your What are your takes here? Um, so on my paper, I have Brandon Miller. I don't know if Portland keeps this pick. We talked about that. This is the this is a situation in which everyone just gets drafted. Um, in our mock draft here, we it's hard to tell who's going to trade. Feel like Portland should. I have a lot of concerns with Brandon Miller. I mean, I'm not in the room. You know, I can't say you know what. Right. But there was the issues with his friends and and um, a shooting. Uh, when he was at Alabama. Yeah, and what exactly his role was in that shooting? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be honest, I have on on court concerns. I mean, sometimes I have a little. I mean, I hate to see bad things happen, but I have a little bit of the uh, just win baby mentality. Yeah. The Oakland Raiders just win. Um, he didn't show up in big games. He had the worst shooting percentage of any player eligible by field goal attempts in NCAA tournament history. Yeah. His shooting in the tournament for Alabama was abysmal. Yes. Alabama had a good team. Uh, they were a team that everyone thought would go to the Final Four. Uh, he's a big reason they didn't. Yeah. He's, he wasn't there. Um, and maybe his head was in other places because of the stuff that happened just before the tournament. But obviously that's a concern too. You know, are you involved in so much stuff that it's hard for you to be on the court? I mean, we're having this discussion with John Morant right now. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Scoot Henderson's going to go too. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls. And I wouldn't be surprised if he falls out of the top three. I'm just being honest here. Right. I wouldn't be surprised unless somebody really, really wants him. I'm not a big Brandon Miller fan. Um, it, it's likely he goes top three. Yeah. I wouldn't touch him. It, yeah. it, especially if I'm Portland and I am going to take the pick, I'm not touching him there. Right. Three. Um, I don't have much more to say about Brandon Miller. I don't want to. I, I hope that he has the best in his career. I hope he turns out and he's great. Um, Oh, can we talk? We were talking maturity and your mental state going into the league. Uh, how about Brandon Miller saying when they asked him who the greatest player of all time is between LeBron, James, and Michael Jordan, that discussion everyone constantly has? He says neither, uh, really trash talks Michael Jordan, and claims that uh, Paul George is the, the greatest player the NBA has ever seen. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about the off court issues and the stuff that happened at Alabama and all that. But again, when we think about wanting to see a kid, like, show me that you've matured right? from that stuff. Like, hopefully you would have learned a lesson by that. Let's not get into a podcast interview and just make an absolute joke of yourself. Yeah, and that's what he is. He's like, a meme now. Maybe you want to model your game after Paul George. Maybe you think that there's similarities between, you know, Paul George is 6'8", 6'9", Brandon Miller 6'8", 6'9". Similar skill set maybe, but when we have the GOAT discussion – it really comes down to a handful of guys, and yeah. Paul George's name has never sniffed that conversation. So show me a little bit that you have matured, 
And to me, that again, it kind of goes into the red flag category for me. Um, but again, between the stuff off the court and some of that uncertainty, um, and then the issues on the court late in the season with him in big moments, uh, no, I think he, I think he probably goes top three. Uh, but it would not be a pick that I would make as a GM. Yeah, I agree. Maybe it was taken out of context. Maybe they said, "Who's the goat of Fresno State?" There, yeah, Southern California. Uh, um, all right, so we're going to move on. We're going to go a little bit maybe more, not rapid fire, but a little bit. Yeah. Just kind of work through some of these uh, a little a little more quickly. But the top three is just very, very interesting. Uh, number four belongs to Houston. Who do you have uh, going at number four and why? Uh, I'm going to go with the first one of the, tw- the Thompson twins. I put Amen Thompson going number four to the Rockets. Um, he's out of the G League also, kind of like Scoot Henderson. He's 6'6", he's long, he's athletic, he can play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. Um, The one question mark I put was how does he fit in Houston? You know, with guys like Jalen Green, uh, the Jabari Smith from Auburn that was a rookie this past year, and then the the discussions of whether or not Houston brings brings back James Harden, uh, where would he fit in Houston? But to me, looking at the fourth overall pick, I think he's a top – He's a top four, top five player, so I got uh, Amen Thompson there at number four. How about you? We're four for four uh, on these so far. So I have Amen Thompson as well. I think he's maybe the best all-around athlete in the draft. He reminds me a lot of Zach Levine. Yeah. I think he's too athletic to pass on. Um, I don't think Houston should draft for fit. When you're not any good, I think you should just take the best player available. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, but I've got Amen Thompson there for as well at Houston. I think he's just a freakazoid, man. He's really bouncy. Um, really gave me a lot of Zach Levine vibes. So, Eamon Thompson, the Houston, uh, we agree there. Yeah. How about number five at Detroit? Five to uh, the Pistons. Yeah. Who do you got? Let's start with you. Can you can take this one? Okay. Surprise one here. I'm gonna I'm gonna bump him up. Uh, I really like Taylor Hendricks. Okay. And he's not one that's uh, been projected top five, but I'm going Taylor Hendricks, and it's because uh, I was just really impressed. So I I follow college basketball. Obviously, I watch a lot. Um, but I also watch and pay attention just afterwards and break down what people say. I think that he's maybe the most versatile defender of okay. everyone that we see in this draft. Um, he's a pretty good shooter. Big, maybe small forward or, or power forward. He shot almost 40% from three this season. Um, very, very good defender. Um, very athletic. 6'9 with a 7'3 wingspan. Um, I think of all the guys left on the board, if Detroit doesn't move this pick, of all the power forwards they've talked about, I'm going with Taylor Hendricks there. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, for me, for me at the fifth pick with Detroit, looking at how their their roster is structured, um, I put Jarris Walker out of Houston at 6'7", 250. He has a 7'2", wingspan. Uh, yeah is an incredible defender, great on the glass. Again, we know how those Houston teams like to play up-tempo, but they get after you defensively. They pressure you. Um, they kill teams off the boards, and he was one of those guys that fit perfectly into that system. And with Detroit kind of being set at the guard positions, kind of set at the center position, I think he would be a great fit coming in. He's 250 pounds, um, can defend multiple spots on the floor, can step out and knock down jump shots. So to me, he would be a great fit there on the wing to kind of help solidify that roster there in Detroit. So I got Jairus Walker going at number five. Um, K 
can't argue with it there. I like Jairus Walker so much so that I have him going six with okay. the Orlando pick there. Okay. Uh, I've got him six. I just like Hendricks a little bit better. Um, I like Walker, like his, like his frame. He seems like he's got a nice shooting touch. Another really good, versatile defender. That's fair. Um, uh, you know, I don't know about fit. There's a lot of big guys there in Orlando. Um, I think he's a top, you know, five or six talent. Um, I just liked Hendricks a little bit better, so I put him over that. Yeah. Uh, but I like Jairus Walker. I've got him six to Orlando. Okay. My six, um, I'm going Anthony Black out of Arkansas. He is a 6'6 point guard. Uh, has a six seven and a half wingspan is described as a bouncy version of Josh Giddy, which I think is probably a, a pretty good player in the league. Uh, but great handles, great passing ability. Arkansas was a blast to watch this year. If you got a chance to watch them play some basketball, um, love their coach and his energy. Um, he's a freshman coming out early, and I think would probably help solidify the backcourt there in Orlando. And so that's why I've got Black going at number six. Uh, I liked Black. Um, he doesn't come up for me for a little bit, though. Um, he is he is very interesting. Probably the best passer in the draft. Yeah. Black. Uh, number seven, the hometown kid here. Or not hometown kid. I, we're hoping he's going to be a hometown kid for us, whoever they pick. Uh, <laughs> Indiana with the seventh pick, if they don't move it. Right. Um. I've got an interesting one here. Okay. For, for Indiana. With the seventh pick, I would like to see Indiana take Baleo Kulabali. Okay. Uh, now, he's going under the radar a little bit um, because he played on the same team as Victor Wimanyama in France. Right. But Baleo is, I think, a top three upside player here. He's 6'6, six, six, and he's got a 7'3 wingspan, which is just insane. Um, really bouncy, really good defender. Um, he gives me some, he gives me some Kawhi Leonard-ish vibes. I'm not saying he's going to be Kawhi, but just the potential, the length, the work ethic, what he does on defense, the athleticism. Um, I think he should be drafted way higher. I think we're going to look back and realize he got missed on. And Indiana messed up the Kawhi thing last time. Maybe they should take this guy. Jeez, um, yeah. Hopefully he can turn, uh, turn out well. But I have Baleo Kulabali at seven. Yeah, and the Pacers have already been fairly active, um, in trying to make some trades, I saw that there was something with the Hawks that fell through at the last minute. Um, did not see who the players were that were going to be involved in the trade, but it did say that they had a trade in the works that fell through. They've already moved some of their second-round picks. Um, they had a deal with the Lakers. Uh, they got a, a pick back later in the second round for some cash considerations. And uh, so they've already been active. And the, the seventh pick is one that is in discussions is what the what are the Pacers going to do. In our world, they're going to take the pick. So at number seven, I've got the Pacers taking Grady Dick from Kansas, um, six seven, six eight shooter, very athletic, and to me solves some of the problems that the Pacers have on the wing in terms of their ability to score, have a knockdown shooter. I know they had Buddy Heald, um, but I think that this puts somebody opposite Buddy Heald, gives uh, Tyrese Halliburton a little bit more room to operate at the point guard position and he can defend multiple spots. It's not like he's just going to be on the offensive end and have to stand and be a, a you know a catch-and-shoot kind of guy in the corner. He can do a whole lot of things. Uh, so at number seven, I've got the Pacers going with, with Grady Dick. I like Grady Dick, man. He's fun. Yeah. He's a good player. Um, number eight, the Washington Wizards on the clock. I'm going to take um, Asura Thompson, the other Thompson twin here, 
Uh, I like him for the Wizards because I think he's more polished than his brother. The Wizards are clearly in a rebuild, uh, and I think he's a player I'd like to see develop as a point guard uh, with that young group in a rebuild. I think he's more polished than uh, Eamon Eamon Thompson is. Um, Fun to watch. They were a fun group in the G League to watch, but I think he would be an interesting fit with the Wizards. I'm going to Sir Thompson. Well, you and I are back on the same page because I also have a Sir Thompson going number eight overall. Uh, Like we said, you know, 6'6 wing, very similar to his brother. Very athletic, um, ideal size to play the two spot. And with with Washington looking to probably be in full-blown tank mode next year, um, Jordan Poole is going to need someone that he can rely on offensively to take a little bit of the load off. And I think this kid with his year in the G League uh, certainly helped uh, mature himself a little bit, get himself used to the NBA game, a little faster pace, a little more physical. And... I think he's an NBA-ready player and I think would be a welcome addition there in D.C. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd be interested to see that. So the next two picks here for 9 and 10 are what I categorize for me as like my best fit. I think these next two guys fit these teams really, really well. Uh, number 9 is the Utah Jazz, a team I really liked watching this year. Great young coach, interesting young pieces. Number 9, I have Cam Whitmore uh, out of Villanova going like to that Utah. Pick. I think he's one of the sneakier guys. I think that he's a guy that we can look back. Maybe he could have been a top five guy. Villanova guys are just winners. I yeah. mean, those guys come out and always fit everywhere. But I think he fits really well with the Utah system. He's a great off-ball player, great cutter, um, interesting facilitator. Um, I think he just looks like a guy that would go right into that um, Utah Jazz system there. Um, so I've got number nine Utah Jazz, Cam, uh, Cam Whitmore. I like that pick. He had a really good freshman year at Villanova. Yeah, great name, too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my number nine pick, you've already mentioned, you've already got this guy off the board, um, Belil Kalabali out of France, played with Wimbam Yama. Uh, very intriguing upside, 6'8", 195, so kind of like Victor in the regard, he's a little bit slight for his height, but he has a 7'2 wingspan. Again, you can't teach that type of stuff. Uh, and is an, a very intriguing player, uh, with what could be a really, really high upside out of this yeah. kid. So uh, going to, to Utah, it's, a, it's an organization that may give him a chance to kind of develop. Wouldn't necessarily have to come in and be a dominant player right away. They've got some guys who have already established themselves there. Uh, so I've got Kalabali going to Utah at number nine. That's a great one. Number 10, I just mentioned a great name and Cam Whitmore going to Utah. Uh, my next great name going to Dallas, Derek Lively. Uh, so we got back-to-back some, some great great names off the board. Uh, I think Derek Lively is the best rim protector in the draft. I think he's – you mentioned it when we were talking. I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit. He, he reminds me a lot of Tyson Chandler. I think you said that too. Yeah. Uh, he gives me a lot of the type of – I think he would go really well to number 10 uh, at, at Dallas. They've got a lot of scoring. They've got a lot of shooting. I think they need that really good pick-and-roll – um, rim protector, lob catcher. Uh, he's got some finishing issues, doesn't shoot really well, doesn't shoot from the free throw line very well. It's not a post-up guy. I think he's just a pure Clint Capella pick-and-roll uh, block shots. I like Derek Lively. Um, I think he's a real specimen um, at 7-1. So I'm going Derek Lively the second, um, number 10 to Dallas. Well, and we're going to keep here just making the same picks because I, too, have my second favorite Lively behind Blake. 
uh, Derek Lively going in here at number 10 to Dallas. And really for the same reasons that you just mentioned, uh, he's 7'1", 7'8", wingspan, played at Duke, played with a pretty loaded Duke roster also. Uh, so probably did not get nearly the attention that maybe he deserved being the number one player coming out of his class in high school as a senior. Uh, does remind me of Tyson Chandler. And to me, I think it gives Luca the perfect guy to play with in the high pick and roll. Uh, he becomes, at 7-1, an absolute nightmare probably to guard defensively off of pick and roll. So he becomes a major um, option as far as throwing lobs and being able to get the ball to a guy on the roll like that. Uh, also is a guy that I told you before we came on, if the Pacers snuck down and took him at number 7, I would also be thrilled. Oh, yeah. um, so it was a little bit hometown bias there. If the Pacers wanted to take him at 7, I'd be happy. Um, but I got Lively going at 10 to the Mavs. I like it. Don't say Blake Lively too loudly um, in the Dallas Mavericks pick because uh, Cuban may sign her too. Uh, <laughs> number 11, the Orlando Magic, their second pick in the lottery. Very interesting situation for the Orlando Magic. Yeah, um, yeah, good for them. Yeah, they got a great rebuild going on. Powell had a great season. I mean, they're, they're on the right track. Um, I've got Jordan Hawkins okay. in Connecticut going 11. Higher than what he's projected, but I think he's a better sure. shooter in the draft. Sure. Um, Great free throw shooter, obviously, but like 40% from three. I saw where he has a higher points per shot on contested shots than on uncontested shots Okay. at UConn. So he's knocking it down regardless if you got a hand up. I think that Orlando is missing the shooter. I know I don't always say you should draft on fit in the lottery, but um, I think he's sneaky. I think he's a great shooter. Uh, Miami Heat have built their um, uh, you know, franchise on underrated shooters. I think people need to start taking them higher. Um, I think Hawkins would be an interesting guy there for Orlando. Well, and you talk about drafting for fit. You know, I think that's one thing the NBA kind of falls out of the habit of wanting to do, where I think if more teams drafted for fit, teams might be more successful rather than just saying, oh, well, this guy's highly rated, highly touted, this is where he's supposed to go, so let's take the best player and then figure it out. Um, And I think maybe it doesn't always work out in the best-case scenario for guys and for teams. Where drafting for fit maybe is what guys should do. But with uh, my pick at 11 with Orlando, um, somebody you've already had come off the board. I got Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. Again, 6'6". And to me at this point, he is a steal as the 11th pick in the lottery here uh, for Orlando. And to me, probably fills some holes and fixes some gaps that Orlando may have. Uh, And again, shores up their backcourt. A lot. I know they've got Cole Anthony, they've got Markel Fultz, who are a couple of kind of reclamation projects uh, yeah. with the NBA, and they've kind of revived their career a little bit there. Um, but Whitmore can play multiple spots, defend multiple spots. He comes out of Villanova, so you know he's very well coached, very fundamental. Uh, so to me, he's a good fit there for the Magic. If he's, a, if he's there at 11, I think Orlando would be smart to take him. Absolutely. Um, next we've got number 12. Next we have number 12, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I think they're one of the more interesting teams in the NBA right now. They're so young. They've got so many options. Um, I am going with a guy you've already mentioned in Grady Dick at OKC. And I'm I'm taking Grady Dick there. I don't think he'll be left. I think he'll be taken earlier. But I'd like to see him in this very unique, very quirky Oklahoma City offense. You've got Chet coming into the mix. You've got a very interesting player in Giddy, SGA, who's super fun. 
I think Grady would just fit right in. Yeah. yeah I think they need a spot-up guy. 6'8", 7-foot wingspan, over 40% from three. Um, great finisher around the rim. I, I like Grady Dick. I think he's going to be super fun wherever he goes. I think he's a player that would fit anywhere. Yeah. He just seems like a guy who would go in any of these teams like, oh, yeah, he'd be great there. I would just like to see him at Oklahoma City. So I maybe dropped him down a little bit more. That was more of a personal thing. Uh, but I have him going to Oklahoma City just because I love what the Thunder have going on right now. Yeah, and that would make Oklahoma City a very big team. They would be incredibly difficult to defend at that so point long. with somebody like putting your wings with Giddy and with SGA, the length that they would have, also what they could do defensively right. with some with of those Chet guys. Too. Yeah. And you talk about bringing him back, so not only would you bring in – essentially you get two rookies you know, yeah. this year, two first-year players next year, and you could really have some talent there in OKC. And they're a classic case of a team building through the draft yep. and doing it really, really well. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about how those teams can win championships. Looking at yeah, number – looking at 12 for me, um, this is a guy you had going off the board uh, pretty early on here, so I'm late to the game. If he's still there, I think this is a great pick for the Thunder. Um, Taylor Hendricks out of UCF, highly skilled, big forward. He's 6'8", 6'9", 7-foot, wingspan, um, has some shooting range, athletically has quite a bit of an upside, and to me would add even more value uh, to OKC. Again, they've got nothing but young legs out there, and adding in this guy who's incredibly athletic but can also stretch the floor I think would be a good fit there in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I definitely think I'm very interested to see what, what they can do um, in OKC. Number 13, the Toronto Raptors. Um, I actually would like to see Toronto make a move here, but uh, I have something that you had early. Um, I'm not as high on for this reason. Uh, I have Anthony Black. Um, I do think he's the best passer in the draft. I think he would be interesting in Toronto with some of the young guys they have. It seems like Fred Van Vliet's going to be gone. They're going to need a new point guard to rebuild. Um, and it seems like Siaka might be gone as well. Um, Anthony Black is a great passer. I like the comparison of him being Josh Giddy-ish. Um, and as my, I, I love Josh Giddy. He's one of my favorite young players. He reminds me a lot of Josh Giddy as well in that he is not a great outside shooter. Um, that's one of the things I think I was down on him compared to some of the other guys. Um, he's not, not a tremendous shooter. I'm sure he'll get better. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see him in Toronto. I put him down there yeah. for that reason, but also... Um, he doesn't really put the ball in the hole as much as some of the other guys can. Right. But if we like Black, I do think he's the best passer. So I have him there at 13. Okay. At 13 on my board, and I'm basing this pick straight. It's a little bit of a homer pick, but straight, basing it strictly off of the uncertainty around Fred Van Vliet right. in Toronto. The coaching change that just happened, I think that Toronto may be active tonight in terms of, of trades and things like that, maybe just tonight or this summer. Uh, but I'm, I put Jalen hood Shafino from Indiana – at 13 to Toronto, only because I think with with the questions behind Van Vliet and whether or not he stays in Toronto, that gives them their point guard of the future. Um, he's 6'5", 6'6", 215, 220 pounds. So physically, he is ready to go play in the NBA. And to me, the second half of the season at Indiana showed what he's capable of, um, going and getting 35 at Purdue. Um, to put the Hoosiers at 2-0 and against the Boilermakers, both times being ranked number one in the country, uh, I think spoke volumes. You could look at some of his shots and think he doesn't have a great shot selection or maybe he struggles to make shots at times. I think a lot of those came in situations that were late in the shot clock where 
basically he was throwing the ball with five, six seconds to go on the clock and basically had to go find a way to get a shot up. And so you can think about percentages and how in some cases he didn't shoot it as well as maybe you think he should for a point guard. Um, but I think a lot of that was situationally based. And once Coach Woodson and the staff up there kind of figured out that pistol action and how they wanted to get him the ball coming off of down screens to work through the mid post, uh, he became a, an incredibly efficient scorer. He's long. He can defend multiple spots. He's a great free throw shooter. Uh, so for me, at, at 13, I'm going Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, I love that one there. And I'm, I'm going to con- continue what you were harping on here because at 14 to the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, I have Jalen Hood Shafino going 14. Okay. Um, and in all honesty, I'd really like to see him go here, especially if they keep Zion Williams. Um, watching the really fun transition game of him throwing lobs to Trace Jackson Davis and the way he could find him in pick-and-roll situations, yep. I'd like to see him and Zion uh, pair up in that. Um, there were questions about his outside shooting, and you addressed it. I, I, I attribute that to shot quality, the same you do. Um, he's a great mid-range scorer, great free throw shooter. He has good form. I don't think his mechanics issue. No. Um, I don't have... I don't have any worry about him as an outside shooter. I think he'll be that. But yeah. I think he's a real point guard. I think he's very interesting. Um, we talked about Scoot having upside and um, Kulabali having upside and, and those guys. But I think Jalen Hood Shafino is a guy that in like two, three years or so, we're going to look back and be like, wow, I, I think that I think this is a guy that we really overlooked. Like I think he just has – he looks like an NBA point guard. Yeah, in every way. And I know we're we're fans of anybody that's in Indiana at IU or guys around the state. Um, and that's not me being a homer. Like, I, I think he just looks like that. Yeah, uh, he has that prowess. The way he passes the ball, the way he comes off screens. Um, he's a legit defender, like point of attack defender. I'm um, on ball handlers. Um, I like him, and I think I think he's gonna go later. Actually, no, I don't. I, I think he's going to go a little earlier. I think there are teams that are being quiet about him. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the top ten. Okay. I really do. I think he's going to end up being the best point guard in the draft. Um, who do you have going at 14 to the Pelicans? Well, to stay on the point guard train, uh, 14 to New Orleans, the last pick of the lottery, I'm going Cason Wallace out of Kentucky. Um, at 6'3", he's long. He's an elite-level defender. Uh he, and he's a, he's a push-the-pace type of player, which I think in New Orleans that is something that they could utilize. I don't know if he comes in and, and would start with their lineup. Uh, I think McCollum does a pretty good job of kind of manning the point there. But he would be a really nice change-of-pace player to bring in off the bench with a second unit to lead that group. Right. Uh, with his ability to, to score in transition – and with the way that the NBA likes to play out of the pick and roll, I think he'd be a really fun player to put there in New Orleans, depending on what they do tonight and how they, they may or may not move guys. Um, I think he's a good pick there just with his just speed alone. Um, you know, give me speed over size any day of the week, and I think I'll go see how well we can do. Uh, but I think he's a he's good value. You know, I think we the, the one big difference between the NBA draft and the NFL draft is depth. Right. Um, and so at this point at 14, you know, I think he's a, he's a good fit there for New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's a real defender, man. He gets his hands on everything. Yeah. He's still a lot. And I love a Kentucky guard. It seems like those yeah. guys always come out and, and fit really well. Um, that wraps up our lottery. And before we wrap up, I want to have 
just a couple quick points for me here. We talked about um, sleepers in this draft. Yeah. Uh, are there a couple guys that you feel like here being really slept on? Maybe we haven't talked about him yet, or you think maybe this guy could be um, someone we look back on and people missed? Yeah, I'll give you two. Um, the first one for me is Keontae George out of Baylor. He was a guy – Baylor did not have nearly the success they were supposed to this year, at least on paper. And in some nights, they just did not play very well. But he was a name that was constantly being mentioned uh, throughout the course of the year as a top-level draft pick. He's fallen out of the lottery in most most predictions and, and most mock drafts so far. But I think he's a player that is late first round that is definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Um, he's 6'4", 6'5", has an NBA-ready body. Uh, and according to a whole lot of people that have seen him work out, has had really good workouts. For teams, um, some mock drafts have him going uh, in the mid-teens, like we're talking 16, 17, 18, so somewhere to like Utah, LA, the Lakers, Miami, somewhere in that range. Um, and then my second sleeper is Chris Murray out of Iowa, um, brother to Keegan Murray. Uh, this guy absolutely torched. The Hoosiers, I'm so glad to see the Murray brothers no longer in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> love, to see, love to see what they're doing in the NBA. Um, but his brother actually this past season with the, the Kings set the record for threes made in a season by a rookie. Yeah. And his brother, Chris here, who is is going to, going pro tonight, has a very similar skill set. He's 6'8", 213, 7-foot wingspan, uh, very versatile forward and has the capacity, just like his brother, to put up some big numbers. So for me, those are the two guys I'm looking forward to seeing where they land and what type of system they get into because I think both of them could have impacts as rookies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those are guys that I both looked at as well. Um, I had a couple guys that I kind of talked about already and I put them up. So I don't necessarily if I call them sleepers. I think that they are. Um, so I'm going to mention them. But I already mentioned Belil Kolobali and yeah. Jordan Hopkins. I think they're being slept on. Um, and I had talked about Jalen hood Shafino. So those three guys are three guys I think that are just projected too low. Um, because I think Kolobali could be a big-time deal. I think hood Shafino could be the best point guard in the draft. Hawkins is going to be something. Uh, a guy I want to mention as a sleeper, um, I think he'll be late first-round pick, okay. is Ben Shepard. Um, ben Shepard is... I think maybe the second best shooter in this draft behind Jordan Hopkins. And the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm seeing teams draft on potential and these real athletes and trying to get them to pan out. And that's not a bad, bad call by any means. Right. Um, Out of Belmont, by the way. Okay. But I'm seeing some of these teams that make runs and it's like, Oh, I didn't expect this guy. Um, Specifically talking Miami heat. Um, Oh, undrafted. Oh, smaller school. I um, mean, he's a real shooter. He's a legit shooter, over 40% from three in college. Um, and guys that can shoot now, I think, are super valuable. Yeah. Um, and he's a guy that I could see Miami at 18, maybe grabbing. Gotcha. Um, but he's probably late first round. But along with the guys that I've already talked about, Vallejo, Jalen, and Jordan Hawkins, uh, Ben Shepard's a sleeper for me just because I think when you can shoot like that, you're talking about Keegan Murray. Um, and his brother. When you can shoot, I think you're going to fit into any system. Yeah. Um, I'm throwing Ben Shepard out of Belmont because he's kind of unheard nice. of because he goes to a small school, but I like Shepard there. Good. Um, 
Before we go, any teams that you see as like uh, I anticipate them making a big move? Maybe you don't know what it is, but someone to watch out for. I, ones that we've already discussed, I think probably at least what I'm going to be watching for and listening for and paying attention to. Uh, Charlotte at number two, do they make moves? Uh, the Blazers, obviously, at number three. I think we are both in agreement that that pick is probably going somewhere else if they're keeping Lillard. Uh, and then I'm, I'm still I'm going to be very curious to see what New Orleans does tonight. Right. Uh, I think they probably make a splash in some sense. Everybody's kind of been saying since the weekend that Zion will not be there come today. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um uh, the Pacers are in conversations with moving their pick potentially at number seven. You know, do they trade down in the draft to get multiple picks or do they trade down in the draft to get a more veteran type player to add to their roster? And then I'm going to be really curious if the Mavs do anything tonight. Yeah. Is there any, is there any noise with Kyrie Irving? Is there any noise with their roster at all? Um, How aggressive are they or are they going to ride this ship out until it sinks? Yeah, I agree. I think Dallas be interesting to make a move. Um, I think they should. I don't think they should draft with number ten. I feel like they should move that. But the two teams I'm going to look at, and the first one is is first one I'm going to say is the Toronto Raptors. Okay. Um, they're losing Fred VanVleet. I think Siakam is going to get traded. Um, in all honesty, I'd like to see Detroit with their fifth pick and maybe some of their you know other pieces. I'd love to see them go get Pascal Siakam. I think he'd be interesting in Detroit. Um, but. I think Toronto is going to make a move. They've got some higher picks. They've got some pieces they want to move out of there um, with OJ and Anobi and yeah. Siakam. I think they want to build around Scotty Barnes. Uh, I can see them making a move tonight. I think their pick uh, at 13 might be moved, and they may move down, um, or maybe they, they package some stuff to move up to maybe that number five. Gotcha. Um, but I like Toronto. And the other team I think would be interesting, maybe not tonight, but after the draft, I think we should really watch San Antonio. Yeah. I know they've got number one, but Popovich is not going to be around for much longer as a coach. And they have the number one pick, and they have a lot of young pieces. I think they're going to bring something or some like someone or a group of someone's in, and they're going to try and win now. I think they're going to make a push. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, I'm in agreement that San Antonio has to do something. I don't think Popovich. I think he's been working with this group, knowing they're going to get something, and. They could be making a run in the playoffs within the next year or two. I mean, maybe not winning a championship or off the bat, but I think they're going to try and um, skip the whole rebuild with Wimbenyama. I think someone comes in, some moves are made, and they're contending or trying to contend right off the bat. Yeah. I'd watch for San Antonio for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to the draft tonight. I know you are as well. I am too. Um, Coming up here at 8 o'clock, it's going to be a good time. This is, again, I'm with you, one of my favorite nights of the year. It's always entertaining. It's going to be super fun, very exciting. It's been a lot of lot of buzz with, with trade rumors and all kinds of stuff. Um, for those of you listening, um, try and catch us before the draft starts or listen after, see if we got anything right. Um, if we're even close to spot on, we are occasionally. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us here on the Picket Fence Podcast. Enjoy the draft tonight. Follow us on social media, Picket Fence Pod. Um, and for both of us here at the Picket Fence Podcast, don't get don't caught, get caught watching, watching the paint dry. <laughs>